If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfullproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see my personal journals straight out of the typewriter. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations, all at hoyfulproductions.com. In preparing for this, I was trying to remember how it is that we stumbled across each other. I don't recall. It happened on YouTube, but I don't remember where. I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've tracked it back to the video that you did on notebooks. and right Oh, the journaling video, yeah. On the right-hand side, putting on the right-hand side. I'll put a link for that in the show notes so that people can check that out because I've been doing that since, uh, since I ran across that video. And I, oh, really? I'm How's huge, it going for you? I love it. I really do. It's, it's brilliant. So for people listening who haven't actually seen this video yet, you want to just give like, a, like one or two sentence idea of what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I, I do this two-stage journaling system. I still do it to this day. And I just keep a, I keep a small beat-up pocket notebook in my pocket. And if I have ideas that really grab me, and I want to make sure I don't forget, or if I want to take notes when I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook or reading a book, I put it all down into this initial notebook. And then I have sort of a nighttime ritual before bed where I copy these into a larger, more permanent journal. So it's kind of like having two stages of filtering on the ideas and really going back over them kind of like you would in college, you know, when you're cramming for the test and you're going over all your notes and you're copying them over into another book to really make sure the ideas gel. I'm not sure. Did you do more than one video on, on journaling? Um, I had one other that was kind of journaling adjacent. Okay. I, I, I'm not sure if we're, if we're even talking about the same one right now. I'm not sure I saw that one. Um, <laughs> the one I'm talking about was the one where you discussed writing only on the right-hand side of the page and then yep. flipping the journal over. Is that the same one? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the more detailed version of the method. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. I probably, uh, the rest of it <laughs> included into my knowledge because kind of, uh, there was a period of time where I was doing something similar to what you just described, except mm -hmm. I was, I was obsessed with this idea of taking the physical notes and putting them digitally. And then after about a year of doing that, I realized I hated doing that. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I've just fallen into doing digitally and, um, working as an art director for a while, I was very much in that digital world and there were tools for everything and it was all efficient and collaborative and it was great. But I feel like I'm getting to this place now where I'm starting to realize what I lost getting away from the way I used to do certain things. Yeah, there's a certain, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Once you get kind of back out of it, you know the difference, you can feel the difference, but it's not always... I find it's difficult to put into words in a way that people who are in the midst of the digital enmeshment, mm -hmm. and to put it into words that actually sink in for them to understand. Because I've tried to explain it to people 
and they just don't get it. And I'm, it's like this man. I use the words manufactured sense of urgency all the time. Yes, I, I could feel for that. And it's it's difficult. I mean, how would you explain it? The the difference. Um, I think it's it's really experiential for me. It was one of those things when I was when I was the deepest into it. I loved it, and I didn't see any other way. And then like with many things, just taking a break and having that perspective of a little time away from something. So I really pulled back on social media and I really got back into um, more physical forms of, you know, note taking and just ritual and habit that I want to try to, you know, just make my life better and be happier and all of that kind of thing. Um, and it's just, it's been super healthy and I've just felt more connected to what I'm doing and less um, stressed out about what anybody else thinks or whether or not things are landing the way that I want them to land when I put them out into the world. It's, it's actually interesting that we're having this conversation about uh, the benefits of the, I guess, for better, uh, more recognizable description to people, the analog world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you and I met through a digital format. So it's, it's kind of a nice yeah. little irony right there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not at all anti-digital. I just realized that it, it was filling up not only all of my time, but it was filling up my mind. The, the journaling thing really helped me sort things out and take charge of what I was doing with my time because it just getting things down reduces your stress about them. It reduces any thinking about them that you're going to do. And you know you can come back to them. You feel you know, kind of a, a comfort in that. And I don't understand why it's felt different for me with digital. Like if I had all of these notes in Evernote, I would have a lot more advanced features. But I guess when I look back at myself and I see my pattern when I'm put into a system like that, is to go in and tweak the system and to make sure that all the information's like formatted correctly and that it looks nice. And then I'm tagging everything. And then I realize, oh, the way that I was doing my keywords doesn't make sense for me today. So then I feel like I have this mountain of backlog to go. It, it's insane what I put myself through when I'm given tools like that. When you and I were messaging back and forth for this episode, I think it was through email, you said there's a lot of common ground and there's a huge, huge one right there. I am exactly <laughs> the same way. I have changed note-taking apps and my former co-host, Lamb, if he's listening, can attest to this. I've changed note-taking apps and task apps and methods and all of those things probably, I don't know, 20, 30 times in the last two years <laughs> because I always, I'm always looking for a way better. And I think maybe for me and maybe for you from what you're saying as well, one of the problems with doing everything digitally is there's this promise that digital can provide something perfect, some sort of perfect system. So we're mm. always trying to attain this perfection. Whereas with paper, once it's down, you just have to accept that it's there. Yeah, I would agree. I think that 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 promise of perfection makes you spend way too much time, at least if you're like me, perfecting the thing rather than using the thing for the thing you wanted to do in the first place. I was looking at something the other day, probably some random article on Medium, and it said something along the lines that uh, currently people spend 60% of their time managing their time management rather than working. Yeah. yeah. That's frightening. I had a, just a funny little anecdote. I had this e-commerce design position years ago. And my 
uh, direct report was kind of upset with the slow time tracking kludge that we had to work with. And so they had us start tracking our time tracking time and it pushed 20% of our entire day. Wow. Just getting into and out of that mode and, you know, you can't be on any calls when you're doing that or doing any of your design work. It was, it was really enlightening. Yeah, there's, um, I've been playing around with the iOS 12 beta for the iPhone and there's this screen time thing in there that will tell you how much time you're spending in mm. apps, at least as far as they are on the screen. And it's been, maybe enlightening is not the right word, it's been terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) When you're confronted with the reality of where your time is actually going, you know, you look and you go, how did I spend two hours today in the messaging app? Yeah. Especially an app like that, there's an app you dip in and out of throughout the day, you don't realize how much time you're actually investing into that app. No, that's that's part of, it's it's partially scary, but it also, it kind of lets you take control. Right. And it's also, it's important to evaluate and, you know, obviously on, if I look and I see that I've spent uh, two hours in the Facebook app, most people would think that's awful, but I have two Facebook groups that are related to this show and I spend time in those Facebook groups. So sometimes I'm doing things in quote unquote naughty apps, <laughs> doing good things. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, though, is, you know, what do you what do you value with your time? If you spent two hours of valuable time in any given app, well, that's fine. You know, I probably spent hours in eBay this week just to save money. And that was a valuable use of my time. Right. Or people who are maybe have a business running through eBay, of course, they're going to have a ton of time there. But what's great about that is you can you can look and actually see what you're investing because time you know, it's a, it's a phrase that's thrown around a lot, but time truly is an investment. And it's the yeah. most expensive investment because it's the one thing you can't get back. You can make money back, but you can never make time back. And I think that what you're saying about uh, journaling is exactly in line with that idea of I'm investing time in myself. It, yes. There's a, there's a certain, for me, a certain feeling that comes across in that silence. Uh, where my brain, uh, it's hard to describe, but I would say it's almost like coming back to myself. Like all of a sudden I remember parts of myself and who I am that I had forgotten. You ever have an experience like that? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had a, I'd say these last few years have been a, a big transition into realizing that I wasn't unhappy where I was at, but I had gone so far from where I initially thought that I wanted to go. And I, Again, it takes a little bit of distance to get perspective and to kind of see yourself from the outside a little bit to realize, is there still, is there something I'm missing from the way that I used to be? Uh, You're still doing art direction now, currently? No, uh, right now I'm just currently doing YouTube. I've got some other projects that I'm starting up and uh, just freelancing, doing photography and design work. Mostly. When you made that transition that we're talking about, were you doing art direction or was this after that? Um, this was this transition. I would say started while I was still an art director, and then I was part of a layoff that involved most of my team um, in different waves in 2016. And then when it happened, and I had just enough side work and a very loving, supportive wife. And she actually came to me and said, you know, give this a shot. 
you know, I'm sure that we can make this work. We're not that tight on money. We can find ways to save money, sell things to buy things. You know, there are a lot of ways that you can make something happen, especially if you have the support of someone like that. Were you considering that or did she actually like surprise you with that idea? Oh, we had talked about it, but it was it was sort of a long-term plan that we were slowly putting into motion and we were going through a lot of uh, personal stuff that year. So a lot of it, it was on hold. And then we decided, you know what, now's a good time. I'm not beholden to anybody. You know, let's take a shot at this. And, you know, a year later, it's still a lot of work and it hasn't turned into anything profitable, but that hasn't mattered. We found ways to save money rather than, you know, you you can get into a certain lifestyle, especially if you have a corporate job like that, um, that you, you save a lot of money just the moment you step away from that. You're not going out to eat so much. You're not driving so much. Yeah, there's all these services that you sign up for. And, you know, like I have, I have friends who have cable and their cable bill is, I don't know, 200 and something dollars a month because they have every channel. <laughs> and maybe they enjoy it. I'm not judging them at all, but um, sure. But I do think that all of those things stacked up when you transition into a, a different lifestyle, like you're describing. I've done the th- similar thing myself. You look at all of the things stacked up and go, "Whoa, I don't need all of that." Yeah, I also I think one of the big realizations that I had then that I've been um, pushing into ever since is that you start to realize that your life has become full of input, whether it be television or Netflix or tweaking your note-taking app to make it perfect or scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. And there's so much out there where you you can get inspired that you can just, you can start to saturate yourself and flood in all of this input all day. I was at one point, listening to podcasts on my commute. And then at work, I was, you know, working most of the day. Or if I was designing, I might listen to something even then. And then I was juggling multiple books and audio books and going home and watching movies and stuff like that. And I just realized I am not giving myself any time to process any of this stuff and no time to output anything of my own. And so that's when I started taking more serious, measurable steps and journaling was kind of part of that change the whole input thing has been huge for me especially you know doing podcasting i'm sure you can um, relate on the level of youtube uh there's a certain point at least in my development as a podcaster and even in my development at the time as a youtuber where i felt like i needed to watch and listen to as much as i possibly could to come up with ideas and you know to stay Mm -hmm. up on the community and all of these things to where I got to a point with like podcasting, I'm still, I, I still listen to a lot of podcasts, but I think I was listening to podcasts almost from the beginning I woke up until the time that I sat down to watch TV late at night. And I realized that they were going right through my brain. I wasn't holding mm-hmm. on to any of it. And now what I've, what I've found very, very beneficial is in the morning typically, and I'm going to get into uh, rituals here and ask you about some of yours. But what I typically do is I get up and I don't look at my phone. I don't turn on anything. I don't listen to anything. And I go outside and I do 15 minutes of boxing. I drink some water 
and then I get in the shower. And then after I get out of the shower, I'll look at my phone for the first time just to make sure there's no fires. Then I put my phone in my backpack and I take off for the coffee shop. And I don't listen to anything in my ears for that walk, both there and the way back. And that change right there is huge. Oh, yeah. And not only because you're reflecting on the things that you input, but you can reflect on yourself and just your immediate surroundings. My wife and I have started taking walks around the neighborhood and we don't listen to anything. We just talk. And I've just found that time. I started wanting to carry a camera with me every time. There was always some picture that I would see that I wanted to catch or I'd have some realization about something and it had everything to do with not allowing that stream of talk in my ear as beneficial as it is in moderation. Like everything else that we've been talking about, there, there are limits and you have, to, you have to look at the value of things maybe and um, decide what, what that what that looks like in your life. You know, like I love podcasts. Okay, well, how much do I actually love podcasts? Do I love them 20 hours a day? No, that's ridiculous. But two hours a day is reasonable maybe for someone like me. For other people, maybe that's excessive. Or, you know, like you said, like I need this, I need this walk. Uh, I need this time. And how, how much do I value that? Even, you know, taking that as a tool as well. Uh, are there any other rituals like that you have discovered that really bring value to you? The most recent and surprising one has been dietary. Um, and I don't know why I always pushed exercise ahead and I kind of allowed my diet to get really bad and I didn't want to address it for the longest time. And then a few months ago, um, we started this low carb diet and I had heard people say it before, but I never gave it much clout until I experienced it. Within a week, I felt energetic. I felt like I had more hours in the day. I felt this amazing mental clarity come over me. And ever since then, that has been a big focus. I think I spent a lot of my life separating sort of the heady, creative, intellectual side with physical as if it was, you know, gym class versus philosophy. But that's not really the way that it works because I'm finding myself feeling younger and more in touch with the way more productive go-getter version of me when I was 15 years younger, simply by not eating so much sugar and grain in a day. And that I, I know that's really weird, but that's probably had the most noticeable effect on just the way that I feel and the way that I think. And if anybody's on the fence about that, you know, start immediately. It only sucks for a couple of days. I can back that 100%. I, I'm at the point now, I think it's been, I want to say about six months. And at the point now where my body almost freaks out when I have sugar, like it doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's intense. Yeah. I get like a, I had the mashed potatoes the other day and I got sweaty afterwards. That's terrifying. Because <laughs> the starch broke down into sugar and my body was like, what do we do? This is coming on too fast, guys. You're not ready for it, this. It becomes like that experience of when you drink too much coffee. You know, when, yeah. when you've just done too much. You're getting the shakes. 
I've also <laughs> been playing with fasting. Have you done any fasting yourself? We do intermittent fasting on a pretty regularly. Um, I have a, on my bad days, I have at least 12 hours between and on most days, um, just a 16-hour fast. So that's real simple to keep up with. You don't eat anything until noon and you don't eat anything after eight. Exactly. Like my, my shift is a little bit, I'm a more of a night owl. So my hours are a little shifted, but I, I go for that same thing. Minimum 12. I won't even have coffee until 12 hours, even though black coffee is supposedly good, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. I drink decaf anyway, so it doesn't really matter that much. I don't understand what decaf's for. It's just flavor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a pretending you know it's like the the near beer it's the near beer of coffee <laughs> yeah i used to drink a lot more coffee and i think that that had to do with just trying to keep up with everything that kind of you can get into that accelerated mode with all of your digital tools and your fast-paced life and but then it requires a lot of coffee and doesn't allow enough sleep <laughs> right and i think that coffee and that sugar there's a connection between that coffee and that sugar thing we often because of sugar we're often hitting these highs and then these huge dips Mm. you know like sleepy in the afternoon and we're using coffee to compensate for that yeah so i mean taken to a less extreme example but it's almost like what elvis presley did to himself with uh, uppers and downers we're doing this consistently to our body spiking it and then slamming it and spiking it and slamming it and it exhausts us yeah at least in my experience Right. Well, and you know, you make a you make a positive change, and you you start eating a little better and paying attention to what you consume in your body, and then you run the risk of being one of quote those people that <laughs> is always trying to convert you when you weren't ready to hear it. Right. Exactly. But you see, you see things differently immediately. You you look over at someone and you say, "I'm not engaging with them right now." I can tell they're in the midst of a sugar crash, and it's just not going to be a productive conversation <laughs> there's that sense of awareness to you know like uh were you ever a smoker uh yes i was same here and the moment you stop smoking and you're actually you know there's the there's a period of time where you're a quote-unquote non-smoker but it's uh, it's iffy <laughs> mm-hmm. you could you could fall back at any time but when you really realize oh i'm i have no interest in cigarettes anymore yeah there's that also that sense of wanting to become, as you said, one of those people telling people not to smoke or whatever, but you really do start to notice, you know, like for me, I, I, I went upstairs one time and I got to the top of the stairs and I was like, Hey, I'm not out of breath. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> or you, uh, you talk to a friend who's a smoker and when you walk up to say hi, the first thing you notice is the way they smell and you think I smelled like that. And had no idea. My sense of smell was one of the first things. When I got it back, I, I felt like I was suddenly a, an oral connoisseur or olfactory connoisseur. And your taste too, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, you know, broccoli is pretty delicious just by itself. Yeah, I've been walking it. around stinking and eating crap because I can <laughs> taste it. <laughs> Coating my tongue with, with as much uh, saturated fat as I could... Uh, get on there because it's the only thing that would seep seep through the nicotine. Yeah, get through the tobacco layer. <laughs> <laughs> I think about when my car and how you know this is going to be described as as an exaggeration, but it was kind of coating on parts of the car the nicotine. 
Yeah. And I think that's got to be doing that to your tongue as well. And your lungs and... Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but none of that stuff gets through. I think the, the, the big maxim over all of this is you're not ready to hear things until you're ready to hear them. And there's not much that you can do to sidestep that no matter how good your intentions are if you're trying to help someone else come to a positive conclusion like that. Yeah, that's one of the really difficult things. And I, you know, especially with, with the format of this show, this show being focused on learning to be a better human, to be more creative, to be uh, happier, all of these things. But at the same time, there's part of me that's wondering, like, am I putting this out in a way that people are going to be interested in hearing it and that's going to make a positive change in their life? But I think going back to what we said earlier about paper, you know, having to just release. Yeah. You know, this is this is what I make. And if it sinks through to some people, awesome. And if it doesn't for others, they're not there yet. And that's a, that's a difficult place to get to. Uh, do you ever have that experience with, with things that you're creating, both in YouTube or in photography? I would say I'm currently going through that sort of transition in photography right now. As I've been looking back and uh, thinking about kind of my whole history with it as a child and growing up and I'm, I'm kind of starting to get swept up maybe a little into this film resurgence that's happening. So I am switching back for a while. I'm testing the water, um, going back to doing some film photography. And I feel like that'll get me out of the Lightroom catalog and it'll slow me down a little bit and put my pictures through that same filter. Whereas digitally, I feel like I, I had a peak one year and some of it was work so it wasn't all personal but a lot of it was just family events that I never even did anything with but at my peak I think I shot over a hundred thousand images that year that's insane that you can't go through all of that to find the good ones it's just too much it was again a saturated input right the camera became this this point where everything was coming in and there was some slower more contemplative more intentional work mixed in there but it's hard to find because there's just so many files. And so I'm forcing myself right now through this transition to film because there's zero instant gratification. I can't look at the back of the camera and see how it turned out. I can't even see it turn out until I finish the roll, pack it up, label it, ship it off to somebody to be processed, and then get those results back. And then that'll put me through a second tier. I I want that tactility of having it back in my hand and having something, I don't don't know if real is the right word, but tangible is probably a good word for it, that I can feel like I've put myself into a few times over. I can reflect on it. And I could easily put myself through all these motions digitally. And it, it may turn out that a year from now, I decide it's not for me and things are going too slow. But I'm, I'm hoping that some of what I captured mentally and creatively through the journaling process will translate to doing my photography more analog. And I'll still keep my digital around for um, making the videos and if I do shoot any kind of family events or anything like that, and for work, obviously. But for my own personal work, I think I'm 
probably going to spend the next year shooting primarily film to see if I can reconnect with a lot of that. It's funny you say that. I was just looking at some stuff on YouTube. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And I ran across, you know, there's those times where you just Google random things because you're curious if you can find an, an answer to it. All the time. And I wanted to see if there were people filming video on film and then making that into YouTube. Hmm. And I, I did not find that. <laughs> so I don't think anybody's doing that. But I did find there's, uh, I can't remember the name of the channel. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. This couple, and it, they, literally the video that I stumbled across was them taking out a film camera for the first time and shooting film. And then, and then I watched the second video where they learned how to develop film in the bathtub. Uh. And it gave me a, a huge interest in that. And photography has always been just as like this random hobby for me. I don't really um, invest a lot of time in it. And that's why I love it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a thing that's free from uh, the constraints of sharing it with others in the sense that uh, putting out a podcast or a video, uh, all of those things for me. But I, I understand that appeal. There's something about that delayed gratification that brings something different to the picture. Right. And I wonder if there are, it makes me look around and wonder if there are other places that I can find that same thing in, in, in ways that I wouldn't just by sticking with digital. Yeah. I think it, it comes down to these cycles that you create. Um, digital is so on demand, whereas analog forces you through a cycle. So um, I have a few photography projects that I'm planning coming up. I'm in the pre-production stage. And then after that, I go into a production and then post-production overarching stages of the whole project. But within that, with film, I'm going to have the cycles of taking the picture, sending it off. I get it back. I review it. I decide which pictures I really want. Send those off to a lab that does an even better scan. You know, Um, stopping to lay the negatives out into a folder to go through them on a light box. I just, I really miss a lot of the stuff that used to be a big part of my life, you know, through college and slowly tapering after that as digital started to take over. And like I said before, it's not that I'm anti-digital. It's just that I have found certain routines and cycles that I've put myself in to have more benefit than anything. Because as a person, who are you except the way that you initially react to everything that comes at you in the world? If you aren't giving yourself time to reflect on things and you're just reacting out of this old pattern that hasn't made you happy, hasn't fulfilled you, you're not going to get anywhere with that. But every time that I've taken control of part of that pattern and tried to guide it in a direction towards what I want, I felt more fulfilled. Like you said, there's, there's nothing wrong with digital. There are certain things that are very valuable about digital in that it enables me to do more of what you're talking about as well. You know, like I, I don't think I ever want to go back to a paper calendar. A digital right. calendar reminds me in a way that I don't have to go somewhere and look at the dates. Um, so that frees up time for me to do other things. Uh, I, I couldn't think- agree more. I was terrible with a calendar. <laughs> I've looked at them in the stores and then thought, 
no, that's just not the way my brain works. <laughs> uh, the, that's taking the, the, the analog thing into fetish zone where it's, I'm just doing it because it's analog, not because it's beneficial to me. And it, it's the same thing with, you know, I love, there's, I love the Apple Pencil and I love the iPad, but I can't journal with the iPad and the Apple Pencil. Right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, my brain, some of these things I think also are just the way that our brains react to things that are not even part of whether it's analog or digital. It's just the way that we interpret it, maybe our generation or uh, our, uh, uh, the way we were brought up. We just don't click with them. Yeah. And as much as I like the idea of that, it doesn't work for me and I could never do it. Now, when it comes to doing a little bit of graphic design or something, I love the Apple Pencil for that because it's so much easier for me to draw something than to fiddle around with it in Photoshop using arrows and curves and lines when I could have just drawn it like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. So th there's that line, right? And it, it, it's different for everyone. Yeah, and the two can coexist pretty well. For example, I recall years ago in my career... Um, when I was doing a lot of logo design, illustration, I've carried one habit through to this day. Um, let's say I was doing a logo. I might get the font that's close to what I want and get the kerning close to where I want it and then put 12 up on a page, put the opacity down to like 10% where I can barely see it and print out a bunch of those. And then I get in there with a pencil and I you know, tweak it and I make it unique and I move things around in the way that I'd actually envision them. And then I pull that back up in the computer and I trace out the best ones. And then I notice, okay, now let's get the balance perfect. Well, I back out of the computer for that. I have to print that out and kind of be able to hold the paper close and put it far away and stand up and look at it from an angle to feel the balance in a way that I can't on the screen. And so there are ways to to just cycle back and use the strengths of each. It's like with um, writing. You know, I might come up with an idea on a piece of paper. Usually my ideas do come out on paper. But I'm, I'm, I might play around with that and edit it on paper. But at a certain point, it becomes ridiculous to think that I'm going to do a whole novel on paper. You know, some people are capable of doing that. Many people in the past did. Mm -hmm. But the amount of time that I can save in the editing process just by using a computer makes it worth it for me because now I've, I've, I'm using that tool for its strength. You know, being able to go back and erase a word and then just replace it with another word instead of before with the typewriter, having to retype the whole page. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely about finding those strengths. You know, for example, when you, when you mentioned journaling earlier, are you uh, what we refer to as a commonplace booker? Do you, not familiar, you familiar with, with that, that term, no. So a commonplace book was, um, it's something that existed for a very long time. I think I haven't really found much on the history, the true history of it. Um, but I, I think the idea was it's, it, it was an artifact of the time when people didn't have access to as many books as they do. You know, you imagine people on the American frontier or something like that. Uh, they had maybe the seven books on their shelf. And, and one of four them of them were Bibles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Family Bibles. So they just reread books. Um, they just reread the ones they had. But whenever they came across another book, they would want to preserve the ideas that they ran, that they ran across. So they had what was referred to as a commonplace book. 
they mm-hmm. would write down bits of knowledge that they came across so that they would be able to carry that knowledge with them. And it's, it's, it's similar to, I think, what you were describing. And what I had done previously was I, I always enjoyed doing it on paper, but then I would copy it into the whatever note-taking app I was using at the time, which is a whole different story. <laughs> but I realized at a certain point that I was spending so much time copying these things in the computer, but then I asked myself, I said, how many of these things am I searching for? Because obviously the strength of digital is being able to search. Yeah. How many of these things are, am I actually searching for? And I realized that in the years, the three years that I've been doing it, I probably searched seven or eight times. So I had this huge investment in this copying that was not paying out to me. So I, I went the opposite extreme. I stopped copying them at all. And now what I've found is this medium in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, without going into a huge amount of detail, I take the, you know, the little bits of, of information. In, everything goes in the notebook. And then I'll look through the notebook when I finish it. And I'll just make little marks next to the things that I think will be useful for either for writing at a later point, you know, uh, if it's a, a data point of something like that, something that could be interesting to mention in the story or something that would be useful for this podcast. Hmm. Um, and then I will take those and I put them all, the writing ones I put on index cards and I put them in a box because then I can just reach into that box and just pull out random ideas and work from there. But then the ones for this podcast, I do, I put them into a digital format. Because when I'm doing an episode, uh, one of the solo episodes or something, and maybe I'm talking about fear, I can go in there and I can search for fear and pull up all Mm. these things that may be possible sources. But I don't need to copy all of them to do that. Right. You know, I I just needed to, like you said, with film, you just need to go through and pick the ones you like. Right. Which ones are worth more time and not just giving everything equal time? Or trying to collect everything because there's this, it's almost like a form of FOMO. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like uh, I, I could take that right back to photography through a Lightroom catalog. You're importing photos, and maybe you've been a little lazy, and there's six shoots on the card, and you have to go through, and you got to give them places and mark the people that are in them, and some keywords. All of this is it's like a digital anxiety. It's like it forces you out of the moment into the future, trying to think. What am I going to need this for? When am I ever going to look up? Am I going to need one day to pull all the pictures that I have in the world of Jody together? Am I going to need to find all the dogs that I've ever... What if I missed one? You know, what if I missed the best one, the one I'm actually going to look for because I was feeling lazy that day? Especially when you take into account the fact that probably in five years that Google Photos and and whatever else, uh, probably Lightroom too at one point, you just be able to type in dog and it's, I mean, it already does it. And to it's some just going to know. <laughs> it's just going to find it for you. It's all that keyword time you'll never have back. <laughs> it's a little creepy. There's, there's some good and some bad in that shift. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, you know, in two years, people will be uh, searching in their own phone saying photos where I look good and the yeah. computer will be able to figure that out for you. <laughs> oh yeah. As we talk about the digital and the analog thing, it's interesting to consider what's going on with artificial intelligence and how that's going to completely change the conversation that we just had. <sighs> don't, I don't even know if I want to get started on that one. <laughs> I'm going to need another hour. I know. I, just, I, know. I feel like 
we are in this this rush right now and we're snowballing towards virtualizing every aspect of ourselves. And then I don't know what's left. And part of that terror is what what's pulling me back to my roots in a way. Between artificial intelligence and machine learning and just the the direction that everything seems to be going of of cataloging and digitizing everything for scannability and insight. Well, there's a certain level of good and bad with all technology, and I'm not a Luddite by any means. But, that, you know, it, it scares me a little bit that people are giving away things that they don't realize they're losing until it's too late along the way. I had about a two-year gap where I just I'd, I got rid of Facebook because of that exact reason. Mm. And I think that... Uh, it's also really important not only for people to consider what you just said, but also to consider not going to, to extremes either without thought, to put thought into everything. Like I don't think I put enough thought into deleting the Facebook to realize that I was also like essentially demolishing many relationships because I, I right. no longer had access to those people. And what that was for me was a lack of self-control. Right. It wasn't that Facebook was the problem. <laughs> it's that I needed to pay attention to what I posted on Facebook. If I was concerned about my privacy, I didn't make sure that I didn't post anything that I didn't want Facebook to know instead yeah. of deleting Facebook. Yeah, I think where it got a little more pervasive for me, and this is where I struggle with Instagram because there's there are so many great people putting out good content on there. I, I I love a lot of the work that's out there and the conversations that are happening on Instagram. But I know that it pays attention to how long I linger on a photo and whose profile I click through to. And it starts giving me things that I didn't come there for. I'm just easily distracted by. Unfortunately, one of the, one of the dichotomies of that business, right? I mean, theoretically, we, we follow all of these people and we're telling it, I want to see everything that we that I get from these people. I think Facebook, it's, it's more prevalent on Facebook than Instagram in the sense that we tend to follow more people on Facebook than we follow on Instagram. But there's absolutely no way we could see everything that everybody posts. And so it's, it's trying to deal with that problem, but then we have that issue of, I don't want to see this either. <laughs> Why are you showing me stuff I don't want to see? And I think for me, I've just gotten to the point where I've just had to accept that what I see is what I see. And, you know, now when I open Instagram, for example, I don't go all the, they just introduced that feature that tells you when you're all caught up. I don't go all the way back to that caught up point. I just flip through until I get bored and then I close the app. Yeah. I Actually, I I've never got, I've never been to the bottom. I'm too liberal with following people. Mm, yeah. See, I have to trim the hedges because I get crazy. Yeah. I have to force myself to, it gets difficult, especially as content creators. I'm not sure if um, everybody out there can relate this, but as content creators, you, I hate that term actually, but. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. As people who put things out on the internet, um, you meet other people that are like, for example, Vinny and I, um, we met through both being people who put out things on the internet and uh you follow people because you build these relationships, but sometimes they're not posting things necessarily that, um, and I'm not talking about Vinny here. 
<laughs> that's fair fair enough if you are they're not they're not posting things that necessarily you you would normally look at on instagram for example you know maybe mm-hmm. uh you know you follow a an artist but they just post a lot of pictures of them and their girlfriend yeah well you don't really know them and you don't really care about them and their girlfriend in the sense that you don't have a personal relationship but you don't want to unfollow them because you've developed this relationship it's almost like a business relationship Mm -hmm. and that's where things get a little weird and a little gray. How do you, I mean, how do you deal with that? Especially YouTube. I don't know how well embedded I am into the community of YouTube outside of some of the comments with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Somewhere like Instagram, I think it's starting to learn that I'm not that interested in pictures of uh, people's kids and stuff like that. So that's one place where that algorithmic discovery is positive. So I'm just not seeing a lot of that stuff and that works out for me. But originally, before it got a lot more advanced, I, when I first signed up, I said, I want to use these different platforms for different things, which was a dream, you know, not really <laughs> ever going to become a reality. Instagram's where I'm going to go and kind of keep a pulse on photography. And I'm just going to look at work that inspires me. And if it's, you know, somebody just sharing their everyday, whatever, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not interested in that. But there was no keeping that up. There's friends and family that have reached out to me and people that I've met and, you know, it's come back in. And I, I sometimes I even find myself interested in that stuff and getting sucked into stories and, and whatnot. So it's definitely an ebb and a flow. I would say there was a period of time of Instagram when it, before Facebook bought it, where it was literally, at least as far as my experience with it, was 50% photographers and 50% tattooed models <laughs> and i was i was great with that and you know then it became more personal and people were using it i think that that was before it went to android which opened it up to a whole new audience and then facebook bought it and it, it became a social network whereas before i think it was just a photo sharing platform mm. and i liked that because of exactly what you're saying i could go in there and get inspiration so at a certain point, I tried to manufacture that again. So I unfollowed all of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> all that did was demolish relationships again. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that thing. You can't do those things to people. You know, someone says, I want, you know, your your best friend from high school that you haven't talked to in 10 years finds you on Instagram and, and follows you. You kind of have to follow them back without being a complete asshole. You have this sudden social reciprocity to people who are not really a part of your life anymore. I find that to be interesting because I, I deal with the same guilt. It, it was easy for me with Facebook because I decided I, I'm not getting a lot of value here, but it's the first thing I scrolled to on my phone. So clearly I had become addicted to it. And so I just took it off the phone. Now I have to go to a browser and check in and the first thing I realize is I never miss it. I can check in twice a month and be up on everything that I care about. And I still have those connections and relationships and people can still message me. And, you know, there's some people who've been following what I've been doing on YouTube who've been wonderful and supportive that I don't want to cut off because they're not really YouTube subscribers. They watch Facebook for my videos and things like that. So kind of like what you were saying, I just keep it, it's just going to be all professional and cordial over there. I'm not going to burn any bridges to get away from it, but it's not going to get anything, any more information about me outside of 
here is what I'm doing that I'm intentionally sharing. That's a very big word there that I think that kind of sums up almost everything that we've talked about is intentionality. Yeah. Doing things with intention, being conscious and mindful of what we're doing. And I think that is more than anything, it's as Vinny and I both have said throughout this episode, digital is not the problem. Analog is not the answer to everything. It's thinking things through. Right. That's, that's really what you need to do. I mean, do you practice any form of meditation? I do. I wish that I could become more routine about it because I go through waves where it's every day for a month and then two months, three times. Um, but I, I have found that to be really great. And in some form, I try to find that at least in my work, if I'm not, if I'm not doing it, sitting down intentionally, formally meditating. Um, I still, I, I even just love those aspects of what I do that become mindless where um, maybe drawing isn't the thing that I've decided to spend most of my time on, but I can never let go of it because it's always provided that sense of just flowing into something and putting your attention on it and not worrying or wandering your mind to anything else. It, it lets you really become aware of, like we were talking about earlier, that the, you're kind of the sum of your reactions to things. And if you just react to things from your gut and you've never really questioned, is this in line with my values? Like, what do I really care about? And sort that out and then ask yourself, does this fit? Is this right for me? You know, there's this idea of having to just kind of roll with things that I think that we get into this pattern of exactly the opposite of what you're saying, but using the same word, mindlessness. Mm -hmm. um, it's not flow. You know, you're kind of describing what, what, what is flow when, when you're in that or in the zone, as people say, yeah. but then there's that, that other exact difference of mindlessness where, you know, I'm turning on the TV because it's eight o'clock. Yeah. And I'm putting on the show. You're just, uh, you're back to that saturation point of input and just taking it more than you could possibly reflect on. And I think that digestion process is everything to me. I agree. If I can't get it through to the parts of my brain where it connects on an emotional level, it's almost like it didn't happen. In light of what this show is about in a quest to become a better human being, and to learn things that make me better and in turn, hopefully, help the listeners. What book do you think that I need to read next? I feel like a lot of the books that have been the most helpful to me, you're sort of in a very similar place to where I'm at right now. Um, so it seems. I've, I've recommended the book Essentialism to a lot of people. I don't know if that's one that you've read. Um, it's sort of aimed at people who feel like they don't have time to do the things that they wanted to do with their life. And the, the major premise is, let's say you have X number of hours in the day. If you commit to all of these things that take you in all these different directions, you don't make any progress. Whereas if you spend all of that same time in one direction, 
then things start to snowball and you start to be doing the things that you want to do. And it's sort of a, a, a toolkit for evaluating those things. And when I read it a couple of years ago, I was already going through a lot of this, but I never liked those self-helpy type of books like that, but I was giving some of them a shot on recommendation. And this one stood out to me because it gave me tools to realize some of the things that I wished I had control over. Honestly, you have control over all the time. You just need to get better at, you know, I was naturally a pushover and now I'm a lot better at thinking through, do I want to commit to this? Is this going in the right direction? Do I want to spend the next two hours perfecting my note system a little more or reflecting on my notes and absorbing all of that so that I have something thoughtful to bring to people in my next video. And Vinny, would you like to tell everyone listening who you are, what you do, and where they can find you online? So I'm Vinny LePay, and I'm a photographer, and I also do design and photography professionally. I say the first photographer first because it's the, the thing that I'm kind of putting myself into at the moment. And if anybody wanted to keep on that, I have taken a short hiatus from YouTube to get some of that self-reflection that we talked about. And when I come back, I think I'm going to be focused very primarily on sharing my own work rather than just talking about the process of getting there. I want to start getting some of my own work out there. So you can find me on YouTube, Vinny LePay, V-I-N-N-Y-L-E-P-E-S. And that's the same on uh, Twitter or Instagram. You can still find me on Facebook. If you're in Vero, you'll find me on there. It's always the same. It's easy having a weird name like I do. There's not going to be another one out there that you're going to get confused with. You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show. Because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before. And it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us.